Welcome back to Not Alone, a podcast about faith and well-being. We're so glad you're tuning in with us. In this episode, we are delighted once again to have Dominique Johnson on the podcast. Dominique is an African-American pastor and entrepreneur from Macon, Georgia, who came on our show a year ago to discuss race in the wake of the George Floyd protests from last summer. We got on the call with Dominique again recently to revisit some of those talking points from that episode, but also to discuss current issues and to discuss where we go from here as the church. Here to introduce Dominique on the show are Michael McCord, Lindsay Geist, and Evan DeYoung. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another wonderful episode of the Not Alone podcast, the podcast that explores faith and well-being. I am Evan DeYoung, and I am joined, as always, by Lindsay Geist and Michael McCord. But we have a very special guest with us today, so we're so excited that you have joined us. I'm going to let Michael introduce our special guest. Michael? Hey, everyone. Hope you're doing well today. Glad to uh, be with you today, and I'm excited to have one of my longtime friends uh, and uh, mentor and uh, also just an incredible yoga instructor, the the incre- the incredible Dominique Johnson. Dominique Dominique and I gone years back when I worked at Mercer. We've we've he's you know there's there are times you look back in your life you're like I thank God for putting this person in my life and Dominique is one of those guys. Um, I laugh about yoga because we did we used to work out together uh, in our Mercer days and uh, yoga was one of his most favorite days. So uh, I'm glad that Dominique, you're here. Tell us a little bit, remind us a little bit about where you are. He was here with us last year. So some of you might remember season one. If you listen to season one, Dominique met with us. We talked uh, a lot about race and, and faith and traditions that we live together. And he's back to do us some follow-up and catch up with how things are going today. But uh, remind us, for those who haven't heard you before, tell us a little bit about you, Dominique, and, and what you do. Well, one of them before we start, I am Dominique Johnson. I am not a yoga instructor. <laughs> and, yoga, and yoga probably wasn't my favorite one, but it was about very necessary. In my, in my physical health, to be honest with you, my weakness outside of eating is my flexibility. So it may need to be my favorite. But hey, I'm Dominique Johnson. I live in Macon, Georgia. Uh, I pastor Kingdom Life, a church that I planted nine years ago. We'll be 10 years uh, old. Uh, next January, uh, alongside that work, uh, we have the Urban CEO, which is a nonprofit, which is 10 years old is, uh, this year. Uh, and that the, the Urban CEO, the CEO stands for Community Empowerment Organization. Uh, I have a wife, Chandra Johnson, my lovely wife, Chandra Johnson, of 18 years. I had to, make, I had to get that right, Liz. Well, right? I saw your uh, eyes counting that, doing the math yeah, right yeah. there. <laughs> and, 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 Two uh, wonderful children, Joshua Johnson, who will be turning 16 on March 30th, and Kirsten Noel Johnson, who will be turning 13 in September. And um, that's that's about it, man. I'm just a, a, a guy from East Megan who I've been captured by the Lord, and I, I chase after him. Don't always get it right, but we be grateful for his grace and mercy. What I love about Dominique is he's an empowerer. He, he sees people... And he believes in them, and he empowers them, and they they go out and do great things. And he, that's what I know of his life and his ministry, what he's doing now, and what he did in Upward Bound at Mercer, and it's just investing in especially young lives uh, and helping them find a way. And I, I, I'm so I'm glad you're, I'm so glad you're here. You did remind me though that my anniversary back in December was our 14th, but my wife was totally convinced it was the 15th, so she bought me this really nice anniversary present. She's all excited about it. And she gave it to me. She's like, it's 15 years. And I was like, looking at her, and I was like, it, the pandemic was long, but did I miss a whole year? It's, it's only hey. 14. Hey, Mike, what, what, what day is your December 9th. See, mine is the, is the 28th. That's why I paused a little ah. bit. Because it's right. Then I'm like, it's, oh. yeah, you got to start, because like, it's right at the end of the year. So, yeah, yeah. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> Yeah, I, I got you, man. Sorry I outed you, Emily, but that was just a great moment. Are you going to celebrate? So this year you celebrated your 15th. Or now next that's year right. are you going to celebrate your 14th? Are you going to swap gonna, them? Are going to reverse it? I don't know. I don't know which one. Back to the future. Yeah. 
We got married I mean, in 2010, so it's a really easy math problem to figure out what year we're in. I, w- I will say, time has literally had no meaning in this past year because there are so many times where I'm like, just a few weeks ago. Oh, nope, that was almost, you know, six months ago or yeah. a whole year ago. That's right. It's and- been almost a year since we were together last time, Dominique. See, I, 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 was, I should have asked, like, man, when, I know we got to get into the park. I'm like, when, when did we actually do the do the other one? Um, we are in the podcast. You're good. This is it. When you mean I'm get being, into, like, the depth of it, I got yeah, it. Yeah. But you know what? With it showing, man, you know, I used to travel and do some leadership stuff and all, all of that. I literally did my like first overnight travel in a year, like last week or two weeks ago. I had to marry one of my spiritual sons, uh, Justin Brown, in um, in Greenville, and so I was like, "Man, it's really been a year since I stayed overnight somewhere." So yeah, it's it, it's, yeah. it's a strange. It is so strange. Yeah. Um, well, congratulations yeah. to Justin and spouse as well. I'm sure they were honored that you made that trip. Hey, amen. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was June uh, last time we recorded, not long after wow. George Floyd's death. Uh, that was right. um, that kind of time frame. So uh, we've had a lot that has happened since then. A lot of, it feels like we've lived a lot of life and our country has lived a lot of life and made a lot of history in those few short, what, 10, nine, 10 months? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is a wild. How how has the time been since since June of last year for you? As we've extended our wonderful pandemic, man, it's 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 been. I've been very reflective. So to answer the question of how, yeah, you know, I think it's been a reflective time for me. It's been a cautious time because you know what's what's interesting since you said that I got COVID like in July, and was like down for like. 14 days, you know, everybody was treating me like the plague in my house, which I guess they should have, right? So um, it, it's been it's been interesting. You know, when you look at it, I, I think we particularly, all of us in community together have lived really through like a triple pandemic. Mm-hmm. I think you had Corona uh, or COVID, whatever you want to, whichever one, you know, fit your taste. You had a racial pandemic. You had a health, uh, health with Corona. You had a mental health pandemic. Yes. And you also had an economic and in and in urban communities you had not only an economic uh pandemic, but you had an educational pandemic as well. And so what I'm learning, I'm I am working on my DBN right now at uh Virginia Union, Seventh Degree uh Proctor School of Theology. And so you know in your DMN you talk a lot about context. And so when you start talking about the context of what was going on and first of all from from my perspective being a black male husband and father. So it's been a lot to be to really reflect on and how to navigate. There's there's been a lot of trauma this year. Um which also is wild to think of how much trauma we've experienced not even really leaving our houses. Right. (laughs) I mean that is a wild concept to think that we've really been traumatized while a lot of us have still been pretty close to home. Yeah. And then you think about, um, you know, with, with, with some black people and probably other, other nationalities as well, generational trauma. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, so, so we already were under some type of trauma. And then you add, so it just compounds, right? It, it just compounds and you got to think, okay, how do I do this? Now, one of the things I'm like teaching everybody or reminding myself is to really take like these mental health days to really just go outside and blow some bubbles to really go get your coloring book like something mm-hmm. to do to do i actually got i had some of my members and some of my friends i just mentioned it you know you have to be careful as a pastor sometimes you can just <laughs> you don't know <laughs> what will show up at your house if you yeah yeah you, you, hey people showed up with crayons i'm like oh i gotta just be careful i went i was just trying to mention it to people uh and so much so Lindsay, that even uh, even though things are let, lighting up a little bit, we're still being careful and moving. Uh, we're actually going to have like a life in the park there, a kingdom life in the park next Sunday for our church. Like I'll do a, our live stream here. We're still not congregating yet. And then that's, then that, that, that Sunday late on that evening, 
I'm just saying, hey, man, that's everybody meet at the park. We can social distance. We can do whatever. Bring your kite. Bring your kickball. Your dog. Your cat. Whatever. And let's just chill out for a minute. We just need to see each other's faces again. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I I saw a couple people this past week that I hadn't seen in a whole year, and the weather was felt warm and nice enough that we were able to meet distanced. And it felt like a, a foreign lifetime to me. It's yeah. people that I used to see regularly. And I mean, I felt like I was in an alternative reality seeing them again, where it felt both normal and um, almost uncomfortable at the same you know, time. You know, what really got me. I don't remember how tall everyone is because we're all the same height on Zoom. <laughs> and so like, I see people even outside or whatever that I know. And I'm like, oh, we're not height. Like everyone's different heights. Like I saw Michael the other day. We had to drop something off for work. And Michael walked in and I was like, you're shorter than I remember. Shorter than I remember. <laughs> <laughs> the it's, same Zoom headspace. Hey, you got a good point there. You know, it, 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 what we did to even combat that is we we did like um I call it fellowship in the parking lot. It was a big um uh parking lot of shopping center down the street from the church. And I said, Hey, we're gonna meet in the parking lot and circle up this day so we can at least just see each other. We even did a communion out there one day. We did that probably around uh, September I was in September of last year. Just, just to, as, as Lindsay said, just to see each other, just to say, hey, touch each other, you know. So, yeah, it, it was great. Yeah. I, it's just, there's just been so many layers of hurt Yeah, on top of hurt. It's just like you don't have time for any of the earlier wounds to be healed before something else. And I think I think something that really struck me in what you said in, in thinking about how the pandemic has, I mean, it's been a health, it's been mental health, it's been economic, it's certainly been political it's been racial and it's been educational. And I think um, that last part really bothers me to think about. And I, I know that so many things were outside of the control of our school systems, but there were so there's going to be such a loss of this year that we've been out where students have been digital learning, which my kids and they have, we have internet, we have access. I'm home. I'm here. Um, it, this, it's like the best case scenario for digital learning, and it was a terrible experience. I mean, it 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 just it just didn't do much. Um, and it was really hard emotionally on me and the kids. I can't imagine being in a scenario where where parents can't be there. There's not internet. There's not stability to be able to have. There's not a computer to use, uh, yeah. and then still try to have some kind of learning. So I just I think about the ramifications of that loss of that year and how that looks and plays out. Like yeah, I think I, I think too. Like we have to, we have to realize, particularly uh, some of us. I can speak from some of the conversations I had with other black people, uh, and maybe a couple of whites as well. It's like I'm not sending my child back to school. Da da da. I'm like, you're you're speaking from a place of privilege. Like everyone know, everyone don't have that that, that that capability to keep their child at home. Like why they can't? I'm like, bro, they have hourly. They're, they're hourly people. Like, they don't have so many vacation days and, and all that, you know, it's like, you got to really think about this thing. And so, like I said, think about it. As you think about it, Mike, like we're somewhat, I'm putting air quotations for the podcast, educated, right? Mm-hmm. We're somewhat educated. And shoot, you see that and you be like, man, look at that. you better call your math teacher. You better, you better, exactly. Like, this ain't what I'm trying then. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of, I have talked to a lot of parents that are going, yeah, I don't remember this, and I have no idea how to help you or teach you. Yeah, and so and so, I think during this time, what we've had the t- opportunity to do was refocus and redefine. Let's redefine, number one, what family is. Number two, who am I as a person? Um, what, does, what does this look like, right? We even get to reevaluate. Oh, now we see the importance of our teachers. We need to really... Because here's, you know what some people find out? Your child ain't logging on and they at home with you. <laughs> you the principal at your house and they not even logging on with you. So imagine them in the school. 
See, we we go by logging on, on this computer, but they don't log that mentally anyway. And so basically we got this, we got a chance to see a lot. Even the church, like I think it was also a time to reevaluate what is really the mission of the church. Like what 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 really are we what really are we doing or supposed to be doing? You know, so yeah, I, I think that's that was that was key. It's been a year of pausing and a yeah. lot of things got halted and paused. And we can either, uh, in all these areas, we can look at the pause as either a frustrating thing of it's keeping me from being productive and progressing and staying busy, or the pause is a gift to reevaluate. And it can be both those things at the same time, that it can be frustrating, but also really helpful to say, okay, did um, the... I mean, I feel like every church in the South has like a barbecue or fish fry being done. Um, And so kind of even pausing and going, why do we do the barbecue or fish fry? What, what are we trying to do? What's the purpose behind it? Um, And is that something that's still helpful? And I think we got to do that for all parts of our lives. You have to, because now we get to be more efficient, which leads us to being more effective. Right, you find out that's some stuff we just don't need. Like, we don't even need to do that anymore. I'll be honest with you, and I might have said this in the last podcast. I'm not sure that we was only March, April, May, maybe three months into it. I'm like, I go, I know that the Zoom fatigue, but I'm telling people if it's a meeting less than less than 10, 15, 20 people, man, send me a Zoom invite. I can stay right here in my office. I'm we keep this thing at 30, 40 minutes. That's cool. Now the first couple of ones when we open back up, yeah, I probably want to see people. Hey. Other than that, I'm gonna say 30 minutes. You know, I'm gonna say 30 minutes. I'm gonna say 30 minutes by not having to get there 15 to 10 minutes early, and then really 45 or 15 minute drive to get there early to talk, and then a 15 minute drive back. And I'm gonna say, "Gay, man, you better go on and shoot me your Zoom link." We are gonna have card handing people out Zoom. I think, "Hey, call me this." <laughs> but but you're right. I think everything uh, even our theology has been reevaluated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How so? It- How so? Y'all ready, y'all ready to go in here? Y'all ready to go Let's ahead go. Let's go. Let's go for it. I mean, when you look at it, man, I think it brought it brought back things like, like what is the value of liberation theology? How are we seeing the um, whitewashing of theology? Uh, you have people, uh, 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 let me let me say this for the listeners, like I'm, I'm a, a member of two, three camps. I hate it. We had to even split up like that. So I'm like Baptist Council, I'm like, I'm like charismatic Baptist, all that, all that wrapped in the one, right? But you have, and the reason why I gave that, because you have these evangelical prophets of charismatic, and they like prophesying, you know, who the winner is, or who not going to be. I just saw one of the, they said it's going to be a civil war because it was stolen. And I'm like, what, what the, I, I don't, anyway, so I'm just like, where, is, where, where are y'all getting this from? Like, first of all, Whenever, whenever uh, Rome and religion got together, it kills Jesus. That's literally what happened. Rome got together with the Pharisees, and Jesus got killed. Now, we know Jesus can't die. He's resurrected, right? But get what I'm saying. Like, it's just so much to unpack, right? I can keep going. I want to ramble. So let's just... Y'all talk too, and then I, I yeah. can come in. I mean, I just go to honestly January sixth, and and the the saying the the swastika, the Confederate flag, and people wearing Jesus shirts and carrying crosses all at the same time. And it's that it's that confluence of of white supremacy, um, American supremacy, and in masculinity. Too, just taking on and destroying. I mean, I, I just don't think I ever imagined in my lifetime I would see the Confederate flag and a cross charging the the Capitol building. And no, I, nobody, nobody would have known, Mike. You know why? Because it went unchecked for so long. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. a kumbaya. We see, we we don't do the hard work of really talking about. It. We dismiss. I think Leslie said this before we really got on the air. And she said, whenever you're so total, absolute about everything, you don't hear the other person. And so watch this. You don't hear James Cone because you automatically think a liberation of black theology. 
uh, Black Liberation Theology. You don't even hear him. Why do he even come up with the construct? Because he looked around and said, hell, this something ain't right right now. This ain't the God y'all talking about. I mean, that's what Frederick Douglass said. He said the, 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 the religion of the slave master is different from that of the slave. So what happens is you have different contexts and different views. That's why I was going back again talking about the, 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 the your theology, your uh, anthropology, and your sociology. If my theology is that of white supremacy, then I'm going to look at other people as less than. So it's not going to fit how I treat other people, other men. Black people, I just speak for speak for us. You, we were three fifths of a person, mm-hmm. right? And then so now. That's, so you're going to treat me less than, which now goes to my sociology. Now I'm dealing with the policies I make because I don't even see you as a person because my theologists say we supreme. So that's why we have to get our theology right. That's why when you look at it, when Constantine in 325 AD, it, it, think about it. Christianity started out as the religion of the oppressed, then it, be, uh, of the oppressed, then it became the religion of the oppressor. And then it so it, the whole dynamic changed. And, and we and, and, and so well, you'll never have a hermeneutic of liberation if you if you are the oppressor. You don't have to be. But when you notice that when you start doing your historical research and realizing, oh, the only time the Bible wandering under oppression, probably Joshua. If you mm-hmm. want to say Moses then go to the promised land, guess what? They still won. Well, they were free, but they still traveling probably under Joshua and King Solomon, if I'm right. And, and give you a little bit of David. Other than that, the rest of the Bible is under oppression. So when he comes, he's talking in context. I come to set the captive free. Okay, now I get all, I get deep. That's spiritual. He put, I think Jesus speaks to both contexts, my spirituality and, and the oppressed. And so we don't want to, we don't want to come face to face with that because number one we don't want to say I was wrong in my theology and I need to go mm-hmm. back and redo some stuff right and so man January the 6th was just wild man I mean everybody knows I, I tried to repeat cliches and all that but really though man yeah that would have been a totally different story if it was uh, let me bring everybody in black brown age whoever you know then we got the thing the other day uh with, with, the, with the guy go in, goes into the, the uh, Messiah parlor, killed eight Asians, and the sheriff said he was just having a bad day. Well, he, had, he killed eight Asians for your bad You already had a, he had a real bad day. He was past a bad day. And so, mm-hmm. now I can go on and on about this, but I want to hear y'all too. I mean, y'all can ask questions. Right, quick. I mean, and, and if, yeah. let's face it, if, if, a, if a black man or an Arab or if someone non-white went and killed eight people in one day, Oh, man. You could just imagine. That, well, first of all, he probably would not have lived. He oh, no would doubt. have been taken into custody. He would not yeah. have lived. And then, and then, if he had, the discussion would be very different. Yeah. yeah. See this, and this is why our theology can't necessarily join in. We must stay outside and be, uh, be a, a, a movement that critiques the culture. So, right. I think is it neighbor or uh, Christian culture? Is it neighbor, right? Is it above uh, above culture, in culture? So not critique because to the point to where we're an enemy of it, but you can never get that, right? Here, here, here's the thing. Joshua is fighting. Angel of the Lord appears. Whose side you on? No one. The Lord's. And so we've been made to take sides when we weren't else going to take sides. I mean, we'd be on the side of the righteous. And as, as if you want to go liberation theology or black liberation theology, you know Jesus is on the side of the oppressed. But we think about it. We're siding with power. And Jesus never, he, he came for the marginalized. He won't everybody. But he hung up on the marginalized people on the outskirts dealing with that. And even to have that, even to have that discussion makes people feel feel crazy. Dominique, will you uh, explain a little bit about black liberation theology? What exactly you mean when you, when you say that? Okay. So I've been throwing certain terms around. And so when you look at it, um, some of it come from Isaiah 61, right? Um, And Luke 4, of course. So black liberation theology, first of all, you had liberation theology, which is uh, Gustavo Guterres, if I'm I'm saying his name right. Uh, He talked about going in amongst the poor and, and doing that. And, 
talking about how capitalism and all that, all, all of those oppressive men. James Cone, going through his seminary experience and out of his seminary, he looked at it and was like, just like I said earlier, like, wait, something is not right here about y'all saying we brothers, we sisters, the, the, the love of God, but black people getting beat. Black people don't have their rights. Some ain't, ain't right. So he, he, I would say, constructed black liberation theology, which is, okay, let me look back through this thing and see where God is. So that means, so guess what? If God is for the oppressed, then God might might even be black. Jane Cole probably would say God is black because he's on the side of the oppressed. He's he's never on the side of power, so to speak. And if he is, he's using that power to liberate those who are in chain. So you go to Isaiah 61, which is the original verse that Luke Fort state um quotes, what he says, oh, I come to set the captives free set those who are living their blue right. Then you go back, he says, to make them oaths of righteousness. So the main thing is, he comes to liberate us. Moses comes to liberate those from, from Pharaoh and moves forward, right? So it takes that, it takes that, that, that hermeneutic. But y'all good, y'all got me sweat. You made some connections between uh, some modern evangelical movements, and uh -huh. uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth because I don't think you said it explicitly, um, but uh, if if this isn't what you meant, let me know. But you made okay. some connections between a modern evangelical movement uh, and then some of the theology and uh, situations that can arise from Christian nationalism uh, yeah. in, in the United States. What would you... How would you compare that connection and how did maybe specifically January 6th kind of pull it all together for you while you were watching? How did that make you feel? What was going through your head? Man, you know, when I saw that, I don't want to say I couldn't believe it, but I couldn't believe it. That makes sense. It's like, I think that's the perfect description of how a number of us felt watching it. It it's, was shocking, but it there was something about it that felt like it had been building in a way that it wasn't surprising that people would express themselves. This sounds super therapy and cliche, but like no, we need express that. Okay. that would express themselves in that, uh, in that uh, violent and it, a way. Yeah. What surprised me, I think, are some of the people that showed up? I, it, it's surprised and not surprised at the same time that you saw so many like stay-at-home moms and CEOs of companies, people that didn't and, fit yeah, our um, cliched paradigm. model. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, here's the thing: I'm, I'm walking through this. This is summing up for you, probably Evan, for everyone. I'm walking through Barnes and Noble. Where I'm sitting now, and <laughs> when I'm sitting there, I see this family. They come in. So long story short, I see a political magazine. And you know, I'm just minding my business. I walked there and said, oh Lord, Biden's win. We're gonna go to hell. Like our country is gonna go to hell. And I'm thinking like, boo, boo, first of all, <laughs> boo. Um, this in my head. For those who are listening, boo is I'm a glad, I'm glad it was in your head. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. For those who are listening, boo is a colloquial term of endearment for a lady. Or a person, or a person period. Something like, boo, check this out. Well, it, see, topics like this, I got one bad word I say. It is H-E-L-L. <laughs> what in the hell have y'all been for 400 years? <laughs> like, we going to go to, like, what you think we've been living with? You, you know what I'm saying? Like, the country going to hell? What are you saying? I, 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 I went lost for words for that because it shows we have no historical context you have no proximity to people who don't look like you, right? The country going to hell, how? Who are we making America great again for? What, what part has it actually been great for some minorities? Don't get me wrong. And there's don't some people that have experienced trauma so much in their lives that they are familiar with trauma and notice trauma. And then there have been some people that in various events over this past year, all of those events that you've named um, are experiencing trauma for one of the very first times. Yes. And, and for them 
That's good. I don't, I don't wish trauma on anybody because yeah. it's, it is painful and it forces you to reevaluate and it causes a break in your regular life paradigm that all of a sudden you go, wait, the world is not as I thought it was. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so at each That's one good. of these events in this past year, we've had some people that for the very first time said, okay, I'm experiencing something different and I might need to reevaluate my views or what policies I'm supporting or how I interact with other people um, for the first time. And for those of us that may have in our lifetimes experienced more trauma, um, I don't, again, don't wish it on anybody, but I want to say to some people like, welcome to the club. Um, there's some people that have been here for a while. Um, Thank you for that in, because I could have, I could have went all the way like in on that. So, but I do have to realize. Thank you for bringing that in and bringing me back to center a little bit there. Because I do have to realize this is new for certain uh, other other dominant culture or white people. I had to realize like, whoa. Um, but you got to be you 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 have some people don't know, right? And I had this uh, conversation with a great guy named Matt Adair. and so what Matt Matt said is, you know. Eight years ago, he was in the same situation. Now, Matt is like this ally challenging people. I think I'm about to get Matt maybe a, a, a bulletproof vest or something, right? Um, but, Lindsay, to your point, think about it. True is dangerous. Mm -hmm. The truth is dangerous and it's scary because it will cause you to reevaluate and to leave some of your ideology. Mm -hmm. What you had to end up saying, what some people had to end up saying is, Grandmama was wrong. And I love grandma. But grandma told me a lie. But grandma didn't even know she told you a lie. Grandma had concept had a separate construct but on, on whiteness or on or, or on um superiority that she you know had passed down. But you gotta you gotta come to the truth to be like, and that is trauma. That is trauma to kind of be like that's trauma on the other end too. You're right. So like, that, that is interesting. Yeah. That wow. It is you gotta traumatic. You gotta, yeah, you gotta deal with the people who you have loved have literally shaped shaped this life. Mm -hmm. that, that's pretty much what you outside of your pastor, your grandmama, your uncle, everybody. I remember going to my grandmama's house down in the valley, and we used to go to church on Sunday morning. And now you gotta realize, man, grandmama's theology was, as my dad would say, a balance. That's another word, but yeah. I, I absolutely agree with you in my own, particularly for me around race, what the systems and language and stories that I was told in my upbringing, not just my immediate family, but my community, um, created a framework of race that that was inherently racist. And uh, in, in, in really, in some overt ways, but probably more disturbing to me are the subtle ways in which my upbringing was racist in, in the subtle ways I looked at people who looked differently than me and thought down on them. And, and that's where it gets really hard because it's going up against what grandma taught me and what my, you know, the elders of my community taught me and the language my uncle taught me um, is to say that I, I can't, I can't take that anymore. And that just feels, it feels like you're rejecting your family or your community in order to embrace what really who you are and what you understand the world to be. Dominique, you made a statement uh, last time we were on the podcast. Every case is all my statements. Go ahead. I, I think is is interesting, and I want to see how I, I want to get an update on that statement. Okay. From nine months ago, just around how you've seen that manifest itself, uh, and the, especially around some of the challenges that I think we're going to get into around voting rights and things that we want to have some conversations about that are really serious topics. The statement you made was uh, around mindset. You said, once my paradigm shifts, my prejudices must shift. Mm. Mm -hmm. Once my paradigm shifts, my prejudices must, must shift uh, in regards to some of the challenges that we have in our culture and society. I, I wonder how that view has changed or been you feel like maybe confirmed or challenged uh, over the last nine months i mean going back to january city you just you see what paradigms are locked and loaded but i've also seen some good stuff 
I've also seen brothers and sisters who claim to me kind of in the in the spirit that Mike just said, he's like, look, man, I don't know everything. I realize I've been walking around here with my eyes closed. And so when you like I say, your your paradigm shift, your perspective, and then your practices have to shift. And so if I understand my paradigm is shifted for me to learn more, then I must not also take the role of a student and not a teacher. I must go and sit with those who have been oppressed and marginalized and hear their stories. I was on a uh, some the other day, uh, and, and so uh, we do a word Wednesday here, Evan. That's a Bible study. I have a good my good friend on Lamont Hartman, and he has a church called the Reconciled Church, and he broke down the original Greek of reconcile, which he, which means to share with another, right? Which to give in the exchange. So in other words, uh, I'm reconciled to God because I gave him my sin, but he gave me his righteousness. So to bring that down on a practical level, for me and Mike uh, and for all of us to be reconciled, then we must sit down and have an exchange with one another. And so we don't, so, and guess what, for you, for me to have an exchange with, with you, Lindsay, and Mike, then that means I must sit down and take time and also take interest in you. And what happens is when I don't take interest in you, then you, you're not going to take, then I can't really hear your heart. It's kind of like the um, you ever notice in certain biblical stories they say Jesus saw them, mm-hmm. or Jesus saw her. It's something about being seen, and when mm-hmm. you don't necessarily see me, then you're not you're not going to uh, 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 approach me in the right manner. And so, so guess what? Seeing me may cause seeing you may cause me to really see myself. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so question about. Tr- trauma and being seen all right that might be lens but go ahead <laughs> no, well, you, the, the, the conversation around trauma and how yeah. it opens our eyes to perspective um, yeah. or it's like when you're wearing your hat too low and you can't see what you need to so you got to pull it up right like True. it's it's something that you put on your head through circumstances and maybe it moved around when you weren't paying attention while you're driving or walking around but you have to readjust, right? Like yeah. that happens. If you wear glasses, your glasses fall down on your face. And if you if they're down on your nose, you have a distorted view of what's happening around us. And I feel like trauma can be an entree into reality. It can be eye-opening. And it also seems like trauma is a double-down moment where when you experience hardship or I'll even say discomfort, it either makes us open our eyes even wider or double down on our previous assumptions. It very rarely Mm -hmm. does something like that or a situation where you get uncomfortable, leave you stagnant and status quo. So my question is uh, in regards to another statement that you made, Uh, you talked about uh, that just because you're uncomfortable doesn't mean you're not safe. (laughs) There's a statement that you used around understanding and having conversations and breaking down barriers. And it seems like the woman at the well is a great example of how Jesus uses trauma to enter in because Mm -hmm. there was a wound and there's a woundedness that opens us up to the reality of the world around us. And Jesus used the woman at the well's experience with relationships as an entrance into real life change and uh, an opportunity to engage with the living water. So when it comes to traumatic experiences that folks have, because they just are, right? They happen. We experience trauma. Very rarely do we line it up and put it on our grocery list that I'm going to experience world-changing trauma today. So (laughs) when we have those moments and this idea that just because you're uncomfortable doesn't mean you're not safe, how have you seen that be something that is helpful in connecting people to one another that maybe wasn't there before? And how have you seen it maybe have us take a few steps back where it's created some additional challenges compared to maybe this time last year? Well, I think in regards to George Floyd and, and all of that, it caused myself and several other uh, white pastors to start getting together and, and, and just talking about issues. Uh, I had one to even say, hey, if you, and, and we know that everything can't be found in a book. Hey, man, if you know anything, I'm willing to be mentored, talk about you. So that's that's one thing. Right, willing to come into my space to talk and learn. The other one is literally like, if you want to double down, is uh, uh-uh, I'm not dealing with it. I'm just gonna keep on doing what I'm doing. So I think the most positive thing I've seen is, is the fact of people coming together and talking about these things. I'm in a group in making now called Freshwater. We're talking about racial and economic equity. 
So that's where I've seen the whole thing come about people entering into these uncomfortable spaces, right? Um, and even amongst black people, like we have to enter into the uncomfortable space and and sometimes, you know, it's a lot of emotion there. So sometimes I have to come into these to the space and not not want to really knock nobody's head off, right? And I'm, and not or either either speak my truth and not be considered an angry black man, or in some cases, uh, the angry black woman, right? Or the angry minority. But there's a passion now because here's the thing, man. I, t- I tell people, like. There are shady, shifty characters in everybody. The lazy, trifling people in every race, right? But for the most part, man, black people don't want them to be nothing but just left alone so they can have their own, so they can do what they need to do. We're not lazy people, man. We built the country. I mean, we mm-hmm. had a resilient, man. We, that DNA, let me say something, man, that came to me. The DNA that's in me is, is, is the DNA that somebody who decided not to jump off the boat, man. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not knocking those who, who quote unquote jumped out the boat because they probably said, you know what, I'll die for I being slain. So mm-hmm. I get that too. But what I want you to say, you, I'm sitting here talking as a black man, which means over a thousand some years ago, somebody from Africa came and somebody decided to stay here and be resilient and hope for another day. Mm-hmm. That ain't lazy, man. That ain't trifling. Mm-hmm. That ain't lazy. That ain't trifling. And when you look in the Bible, I tell people this. I might have said this on the last podcast. I'm not sure. There's three there's three reasons for poverty. Three reasons for poverty in the Bible. If y'all find another, let me know. I found three. One is uh lazy, one is happen chance, and one is oppression. You gotta identify first why this person is in the place they are in. Are they lazy? Is there systematic oppression? Or just I got up and I lost my money and my job closed down. And for the most part, man, you won't find don't find a whole bunch of black, lazy black people. You find people, man, who don't live here. They just, they just, as, as King said, I just want you to live up to the promise. That's what Martin King said. I just want America to live up to the promise. That's all we want. That's all we ever want. They let us go 1865, which if you want to count that, some, some black people don't count that, right? But when they let us go, man, please, I mean, just, just let us, just let us do us. You know the same the same year, the same year that they signed the Declaration of Independence with the same year, I think it was Richard Allen got dragged out of church. The same year. The same year that the, the, the Constitution of the Declaration of was signed, 1776, if I'm not mistaken, right? The same year he was pulled out of a church for trying to worship. Hmm. Right, back again to our theology. Back again to, come on, man. No, and I think I would go back to something about liberation theology. I really think that is a yeah. valuable framework to think about what we're experience, what what all of us are experiencing. So the idea that that God is a liberator, uh, and that God is working uh, to liberate people from oppression, and that is the realization that all of us are in some form of oppression. And what we know about oppression is when someone experiences it, it, it's like it becomes contagious. One of the coping mechanisms, if I feel like I'm under oppression, one of the coping mechanisms is to impress, is to oppress someone else, because then it gives me a sense of control in mm-hmm. the scenario. And so what I saw on January 6th was a whole bunch of people who, who are in really what we see in that that whole movement uh, in in U.S. culture is a group of people who are oppressed in many ways. In in but but they have enough affordance because they're white that they can oppress others, and and so that that control that they were able to usurp on January six was was a press up against the oppression that the systems of government and politicians and large corporations have on our system. You know, so I think it's a reminder to me that all of us are experiencing oppression in really profound ways. Um, And all of us also then become oppressors. Yeah. And And Mike, the flip side of that as well is anytime you hear somebody talk about equity, you automatically think I'm coming back to take something from you. Right. Mm -hmm. Yes. 
Yes. See, 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 and what you just what you just what you just explained was this. Here it is. Dawson, Dr. Allison Geis Johnson says this. You have whiteness and then you have disenfranchised European Americans. Hmm. Whiteness gets you whatever you want. There are disenfranchised European Americans who vote for stuff that will still oppress them because they want to be white. Yeah. Does that make yeah. sense what I'm saying? That's right. They, they're white, but they don't have whiteness. They don't have whiteness. That's your one hook. The, your one hope is, you know, I'm white. That's at least going to give me some up, which yeah. means I need to ride those coattails. Exactly. Because I'm right now, I'm, and, and I know people can't see me on the screen. I'm letting people let them see it. So right now, there's whiteness. Don't. But then there's those who have the pigmentation of white, but they're disenfranchised European American. Mm-hmm. They don't have the clout. They don't get to go in River North again making. They don't get to go that. But guess what? Because my girl is white, I aspire to whiteness. But really, a disenfranchised European American is sometimes, is sometimes, is still above on the same level as black as a black person. Mm-hmm. And that's what they don't want to be. At least it, I'm not the black person. It, and then what happens? So, like, you, you know, those disenfranchised European Americans desperately need health care. Uh, they and, can't and afford health care. Right, yeah. but, but politicians will say, well, that we don't want to fund immigrants, lazy immigrants, who are actually the backbone of American society and yeah. economic structure. We don't want to give them free, and it's going to cost us too much. So you, we can't get rid of our pay-for-service structure. And so they will do the very thing that will harm them the most to follow that under that, that regime. And that, that, exactly. that hope, it's sort of this you know, this aspirational living. And I think that's one of the things that was so intoxicating about Donald Trump as president was, now we're getting political, sorry guys, is that he was (laughs) at least by all appearances a very wealthy man, right? He's got got lots of money. And, And it's like, I think there are a lot of people, a lot of white people who were like, oh, if I could just be like him, and they saw themselves in him, and it created this culture to sort of ride the coattails of Donald Trump, believing that they too would become wealthy one day, and they so could be outside. Well, I just to bring it back because I like because I know we won't get too too political, right? But to bring it back, if we're gonna talk about theology, why well, I'm not trying to be like Jesus? Mm-hmm. So now I'm dealing with idolatry. See, and that's what it's showing up. Yeah. It, it, you, you're dealing with, uh, and any time the flag becomes higher than the cross, the, theologically or picturesquely, right? Anytime that happens, you have idolatry. But they won't, they, they wouldn't, they, they, you see, this is what the, the word says. The word says that, that, that he is the father of lies. And this, and, and, and this is not a quote from the Bible, so that tells me his deception is his main key. The Bible says, guard your heart. Wow, but all the issues of life flow out of. So guess what? You don't even realize that you don't fell into the idolatry. It's almost like cheating in a relationship. You don't even realize this person that got into your soul. You just end up one day like, whoa, wait, I'm tripping. The only part right here, some people got here, they didn't say they tripping. They felt like they were doing the American thing to do instead of the, the, the biblical thing to do. Yeah, I think it's hard to follow, to be try to be more like Jesus or follow Jesus uh, when we don't have like it's not Jesus isn't living right now, so we can't directly go like this is our model. I'm going to copy everything, um, and I think it requires a lot more work of us to take that extra step of interpretation. And it's a lot easier to get wrapped up in, oh, I saw this person. They seem to be enjoying life, doing great. I want to be more like them. Yeah. I hope to be like that. Um, again, good. it doesn't make it okay, but no, no, no. It's, that, easy, that's good. it's easy for us to get wrapped up in what it feels more tangible. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I definitely wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't make an argument against that. I think... Like again, it just goes back to what our ethic is, you know, our ethos of love and empowering. Once again, 
we see now the 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 um the value of a li- of a, of a theology of liberation. Mm-hmm. We just see mm-hmm. we just we just see more more of it now. Where we would easily dismiss it, like you like. Think about it, man. You have you have people thinking like I never would have thought that would have happened. Mm-hmm. And then some people still call them patriots and they're like, "What, bro? If that was Dominique Johnson, I see you, Evan. Yeah, if that was Dominique Johnson, if that was, I don't know, man. I, I wouldn't be talking to y'all now." It would be oh, a yeah. whole different scenario, man, if there were black people up there. I and think we the contrast... Know, I'm yeah. sorry, go, go ahead. Go, no, no, you go ahead, bro. I think the contrast is really interesting because that's what I have some... I'm curious to hear your thoughts on is we have one-for-one comparisons of similar events. Like, what, what happened when a different group of folks went to the same place, announced that they were going to be there? You had machine guns on the steps of the Capitol. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, like, we're not talking like we're not pulling something from the 70s and saying this is what it was like in the 70s. This is what it was like now. We're talking months apart. You, hey, you have given the contrast, brother. So my question is this then. When you talk about an ethos of love, right, you talk about love, liberation, and what our ethic is. What's going through your head and how do you reconcile some of this voting rights stuff that's going on? And I, I want to say, especially in Georgia, because that's really our, our context, is you had un, an unseen levels of turnout and engagement from a variety of groups of voters. And then something happened that people, a lot of people didn't really like in this state and were pretty surprised by. And then all of a sudden, we have some of the most restrictive bills and things to clamp down on the rights of people in our state to vote that we've seen since maybe ever mm. what what where are we at what is that how do like what what's going on how do we feel it's back again to power man i mean at the end of the day it's power and i'm gonna go to the lens and say now some black people on here may maybe disappointed at me but i'm using this term out this way they're going through trauma. They're going through trauma. They really are going through mm-hmm. trauma. And, and like you said, they doubling down like, oh, wait, hold on. So you didn't you didn't account, you didn't account for, you didn't account for my homeboy on the corner to show up and vote. You, you didn't account for that. Now you even saying, maybe I some of I lost, I stood in the line at least two, three hours long. So you're not telling me people can't at least bring food for the people. To do an American American uh, civic duty, American right, privilege, you're really you gonna ban food and water? What they gotta do with voting? Do people out here hungry? See you now. You you going back at a, a marginalized thing? Why? Because they saw it work. They saw Stacey Abrams get out there. We gonna motivate them. We gonna do this. Where's what? We'll have cookouts away from it. The people can get some food and stand in line. Why would you want more American people voting? It's interesting how we really want to support people's voices being heard, but we really only want to support them when they mirror our own voices. Watch this: mirror our own voices, or their voices necessarily don't carry enough weight. Yes. Because you know somebody see. I, there are some people we give a platform by responding to them. Because if you don't respond, they don't have a platform. But get what you got to respond to. We got to respond to them votes, baby. We got to respond to them. Well, <laughs> I, I just want to hold up a, 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 a little bit of an experience that I had sort of in contrast to just because I think, I think there are two things at play. One is, is the power figures. Uh-huh. Uh, and then the reality of what like normal humans like like us are sitting around doing and and i i worked uh, i was a poll manager um for a, a precinct here in gwinnett county where i live and it i did was, like the richest county in the nation was that <laughs> i did like the richest county in the nation <laughs> i i don't think it's the richest county it is one of the most diverse though it is a it's an amazing place uh yeah Lots Actually, of diversity. Real quick to tell you, let you tell your story. I think uh, who that is down here, uh, Lake Saint Cloud. So one of them, Edenton, somewhere around now, I think maybe a high, 
high zip code. Go ahead. Oh, oh uh, yeah, yeah, uh, Oconee County. Where, yeah, where the like Ritz that. Carlton is and Lake Oconee and all that. Yeah. Um, and what I saw there, it's probably one of the most rewarding things I've ever done, honestly, because it was everybody. Everybody came to that poll. Uh, white conservatives, uh, progressive immigrants, uh, and uh, everything in between. Like, all there, and there was this this energy and this excitement to be there, to be voting. And I knew, I mean, I, I didn't know because I saw, but you could, you, you knew that everyone in there is going to vote different ways. And they're all, but we're all doing the same thing together. And you'd have a first-time voter because they're a new citizen, and you see everybody clapping for them. Uh, you see a, a a young adult who's just turned eighteen and was voting for the first time, and people would would clap for them, and we'd celebrate, and it, and you just saw people helping each other. And I, I do think genuinely, I honestly do that 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 most people want to live in that kind of world yeah. Yeah. where we help each other. What you really see here in Georgia, I think, is you see a lot of old white men who've been elected over and over and over again see their power crumbling down. And all they've lived for is that power. That's that's what's given them life. And so they are going to manipulate the system, whatever it takes, to try to protect their seat. And what and and you know what what happens then is they gotta paint someone as the enemy to unite their people. And so that enemy is anybody of color or any or, or Democrats. Who are who are socialists or communists? Like like we'll use those languages uh, to create that, and it does it happens exactly on the other side too, because you'll you'll see Democrats describing uh, Republicans as white nationalists and and racists and and use really profoundly polarizing language to create enemies so that you can get what you want passed. So we had to understand that we're all sort of being manipulated in this system. And, and I think what you pointed to earlier is that what we have to do is start to listen and start to see and start to pay attention where God's doing the good work of, of reconciliation in people. And I saw that on election day, both of them, the, 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 the prime, I mean, the, the initial election and then the, the runoff election. You could see God doing the work of reconciling in people in that moment uh, in ways that I hadn't really experienced before. Yeah. I think I think man, there was an energy. Uh, my daughter and my son went with us to a vote, and there was this energy like, okay. And I want them to be in the moment. I want them. I mean, they can't vote, but I want them to feel it. I want them to see, even though it's two, three hours. Like you know, you're like your ancestors got their head bashed in. Mm -hmm. You know, there was strange fruit on trees. Just stay here in their mind to let your voice be heard. I think for young black men in urban areas, <clears throat> they got to see that it did it does matter for you to vote. Cause the narrative was it don't matter. But now that I think they got to see it was it was a movement, man. So yeah, it was it was definitely like yeah, it was it's a time. But here's the thing, Mike, I got it got a little emotional right there. Here's the thing, like I I follow where the chips fall. And what I mean by that is we, if you want to say we, some people had eight years, I had four. Like it's it, it goes back and forth. It's like deal, deal with it. You know, I, and I know that's tough, but back again, that's when I have made power and, and, and idol. When I made power and idol, it's like, hey man, you have four, it's somebody else's turn. That's the democracy, right? That's what the, that, that, that's what was set up. By the, the, the forefathers, even when I'm out, we weren't thought to be people, but that's what it is. <laughs> Let's rock and roll what it is. Y'all take a take a breather for a minute. Y'all get another chance. And folks, here's the get what? If the other side or whoever wins, let me not please side. If your side don't win in the next four years, we're gonna sit down, take a seat, and deal with it. And four years again, we're gonna come right back to the ball or every two for senators. Liz, mm -hmm. I think you want to say, I don't know. Well, I was just gonna say that. Each of those are moments of pause, forced pause again. Mm -hmm. um, and when the world uh, or your life is put on pause, you have the option to respond out of fear or respond out of hope. I love the therapist. <laughs> <laughs>
They just, they just. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna use that. I'm gonna use that in a sermon. I'm gonna start so deep. I might, I might core it first. You know, I talk to Lizzie, I talk to Lizzie guys. You know, when you have a pause, you got, you got two ways to respond. <laughs> out of fear. We're out of hope. And and I think that uh, we do a lot out of fear around losing things versus hope that there is in in something different, in change, uh, it's also going to be wonderful and beautiful. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Hey, let me say this real quick. I know we probably in, in there in our time. I didn't, I didn't see it earlier. I think I think we got to use better, use our pauses better. Mm. You know what yeah. a pause is? A Sabbath. Hmm. Yes. We don't use our pauses good at all. Because we're so used to producing, we're so used to doing stuff. And so, Lindsay, that's what I hear. My, my, that's what I hear is like, pause. Like, Look, I'm not I'm not one of these people say God caused the pandemic, but he makes all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord. How can I use this? How can I use this pause and see? Hmm. Number one, where's my family at? When's the last time I had a chance to sit down and eat a meal with my kid? You remember at one time it was two weeks that nobody was doing that. Two weeks, like we didn't know how what the virus was. Just stay in, close your door, put blood on the on the lentil. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <Not right>. Yeah. <laughs> right. But during those two weeks, we, families had to really, during that pause, we should have really reflected and evaluated. When was the last time we ate together? Do I really love my wife like I say I do? Do we even like each other? Can we stand here to have a conversation? So, in other words, I'm going to go back to the biblical word. Like, how are we, how are we really using our Sabbath? How are we really slowing down and really taking inventory of ourselves? Taking inventory of what's going on around me. What do I need to give up? Do I even just if I don't even notice the do I even notice the beauty of just the tree? Do I respect this? Do I really respect the sanctity of someone else who disagrees with I disagree? Because God made them too. Mm. If they're in the Margot Day, I got the God made them, Lord. What am I being a good Christ bearer? But am I showing love to those who are diametrically opposed to what I do? So I think we got to use the pauses, though. So I, I had this uh, opportunity to 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 give a devotion to the Georgia Senate a couple, couple of weeks ago, and following that. I received a letter from one of the politicians there, and it was such a vivid reminder to me of how quickly, and I want, this is a, something you talked about, how quickly we dehumanize people because of their position or their title or their affiliations or the color of their skin or for where they come from or their dialect or their language. Like the, we've been taught and trained to do that. And this is a person who I had done that to. And they ended up writing me probably one of the most kind and generous and meaningful letters I think I've ever received from anybody. And it it was a it was a politician who who I had lumped in um because of 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 the scenario that we find ourselves in a certain category. And it, it's just been such a a vivid reminder for me that the hard work, the real hard work is about rehumanizing people and in seeing each other for who we are and being in relationship. It feels to me as not active and maybe a passive response, but I think the hardest work we do is to overcome the prejudice that we have towards one another and to see each other as human again. Um, and because that's the, that's where that's the only place that healing can begin. I want to thank you, Dominique, once again for joining us. It's always a pleasure. I yes, love, thank I, you. I love, I love the way your brain works and and the way your heart works, and uh, and those work together for good and and with integrity. And I really appreciate that because uh, I admired that in you, 
in the work you're doing there in Macon. And um, thanks for taking time to hang out with us and be honest with each other and be vulnerable because this is this is where it happens. This is how it happens. The only way yeah. change will happen is if people do this together. Um, and I hope that we can continue doing this for one another. Hey, I thank you all. Y'all always uh, very gracious. And I love, just like y'all, I love intellectual dialogue. Like Evan, I have to do some stuff too. I got to, I, I, I thank you for that. Uh, and I appreciate that you clarify some stuff with me, the whole empowering thing. I'm, uh, I'm actually working on my D-Men and talking about community empowerment, the theology of empowerment. So we're doing that in the head and heart. I think about you, Lindsay, when you say that, I'm always thinking with my head, but with the heart. You got to reconcile the two somewhere. And Evan, just for the frankness of the questions, man, I appreciate it. One person I always once told me it's an honor and a privilege to be accepted amongst your peers. So I don't take it for uh, granted or lightly that y'all asked me to come back and all that I was able to add. Hopefully I'm able to add some value. So bless you all. Bless us on all you all and your families and everything your hand touches. Thank you. Amen. Same to you. Amen. And when we're coming up on the end of this, you know what I haven't had is some new way in a year. And you know where new way is. I go I don't a long way. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I so got we'll it. We'll get that, and we'll we'll we're looking forward to having you back on again soon. So, y'all be blessed, man. Appreciate y'all. All right, thank you, Thanks you so time. much. Thanks. All right.